Just kidding. Hello, everybody. I am so glad to welcome you back to yet another episode of Undead Airlock, my personal podcast podium for horror-themed rantings, ravings, and ramblings. As usual, I am your contrite host, Hannah Selector, and I am aware of the unforgivable time gap between episodes as of late. And I apologize. Hey, it's me, future Hannah in the edits. I also apologize. That's like a double apology. Two apologies for the price of one. If you're a first-time listener, a special greeting to you. It's nice that you've found our creepy little corner, where you can rest assured that you are in good, horror-loving company. And to all of my returning listeners, you know I missed you guys, and I really hope you all have missed me just a little bit, or if not me, the show. So this is episode 14 of our Teenage Podcast, And this week, we're breaking a bit from our fun academic bent and veering into sort of a horror-cultural discussion. A discussion focused on the treatment of horror movies in mainstream film criticism, fandom, and press coverage. Not necessarily in that order. For the most part, we'll focus on those odd, troubling, and or annoying critic, moviegoer, and media responses to noteworthy or even averagely good scary movies. Horror films are kind of unique in that, unlike most other horror media, books, comics, games, what have you, horror movies seem to struggle to achieve a level of genuine, consistent respect in their particular art form. To those unlucky people who don't enjoy horror movies, or those who might only occasionally watch a horror film, the idea of a scary movie will probably conjure up an image of a cheaply done teen slasher, bikini-clad babes, all bloody and running through the woods, chased by a masked maniac with a machete. You know the type. Now, before you go sending me a bunch of angry, impassioned defenses of teen screams or grindhouse films, say it with me and George Costanza. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Oh yes, a Seinfeld reference in a horror podcast. But this not entirely incorrect, but pretty one-dimensional evaluation of the horror movie genre has led to a lot of frustration for filmmakers and fans alike. A lot of which is being hashed out in the media right now. And on my Twitter timeline, which was kind of what inspired me to uh, inject this episode into my agenda. Plus, a little rant every now and then is good for the soul. Probably the resurgence of this phenomenon can be attributed to the sort of renaissance that the horror film genre has been enjoying over the last ten years or so. You might recall from our very first episode, which featured a brief history of the horror genre as a whole, that there was a big downturn of public opinion about horror movies round about the 1980s, the era from which emerged that negative stereotype of the horror movie. The slapped-together film that sacrifices plot and scares for gore and titillation. Again, not that there's anything wrong with that. And not that it's even remotely fair. For whatever reason, the genre of horror film seems to be held to a much higher standard than their other film genre counterparts. Imagine the same sort of stereotyping in something like romantic comedies, where the mention of any romantic comedy only conjured up images of something like failure to launch. It's not that there weren't people who didn't like that movie or that sort of movie, it's just that it's not the standard you want the entire genre to be judged by. And even though there's nothing wrong with being a fan of the most grindhousey, low-budget, splatterpunk horror movie in existence, 
There is something wrong with believing that the horror genre has little or nothing to offer in terms of artistic, cultural, or historical relevance in the film world. And many horror movies in the last few years are a testament to that. There have been so many great horror films lately. Future Hannah here. So fucking many. Truly we are blessed. So many. And as a lifelong horror fan born around the late 80s, you know, I've been waiting a long time for the day when the mark of a good horror movie would be more than simply being able to say it didn't outright suck ass. That day is here, my friends. That day is here. But, unfortunately, people outside of our frightening fold seem reluctant to give horror movies that credit. Plenty of writers, critics, and erstwhile bloggers will find almost any reason to say that a good to excellent horror movie is actually not a horror movie. The reasons are varied, but the underlying erroneous belief is always the same. If a movie is praiseworthy, is critically acclaimed, is noteworthy in any fashion, it can't possibly be a horror movie. And I suppose in a lot of ways this press trend is not a new phenomenon. After all, there have always been good horror movies, and it seems people have always been reluctant to let them be that. Horror movies, that is. Now, to best explore this issue, I think it's appropriate to start at the tippy-top of the film industry. The Academy Awards. The Oscars. The sweeping voice of film merit. Whether you agree that it should play that role or not. Future Hannah in the edits again. It seems important, or at least appropriate, to note that even though the Academy Awards do cover foreign films, the perspective of most of this cast in terms of the upcoming awards and statistics is gonna be pretty biased toward the United States because, of course, that's where I live. So, to my international listeners, of which I know I only have a few, I apologize that this is not more broad-minded, it's just that I don't have a ton of perspective on the film award culture in other countries because, of course, I live here. And most of the film, and particularly horror-related press I expose myself to, is based in the United States. Regardless, I love you international listeners very much, and if you've got any neat info about the horror movie climate and reception in your country, send it my way and I'll try to throw it into a later episode. Now back to the show. To start off, let's take a look at the categories that exist at the Academy Awards. Currently, there are 24 categories, 24 little golden statues that a film could potentially win at the Oscars. You've got Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor in a Leading Role, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Actress in a Leading Role, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Best Animated Feature, Best Animated Short Film, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Documentary Feature, Best Documentary Short Subject, Best Film Editing, Best Foreign Language Film, Best Live Action Short Film, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Production Design, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Visual Effects, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Original Screenplay. Whew. Deep breath, everyone. Now, that's a lot of categories. That's a lot of opportunities for horror movies to be nominated and for horror movies to win. Theoretically, a horror movie could win an award in any one of those categories, right? Well, even with the possibility of being included in so many different categories, you're certainly not going to be able to accuse the Academy of overselecting horror films for Oscars. Before we get into that, though, here's a little Oscars history. The first ever Academy Awards were held in 1929, and it wasn't even until four years later that a horror movie made even a small appearance in the nominations. And there remained, and still remains, a dearth of horror movies in the Academy Awards for years to come. 
By way of proof, and with my heartfelt thanks to Susanna at storiesforghosts.com, let's take a look at a rundown of all the horror films that have either been nominated or have subsequently won Oscars at the Academy Awards in the last 90 years. In 1932, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was the first horror film to ever be nominated for an Academy Award. Unfortunately, it wasn't until 18 years later that another horror movie, Rebecca, would be nominated for multiple Academy Awards. Then there was another version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1941, The Picture of Dorian Gray in 1945, The Bad Seed in 1956, Psycho in 1960, Quaidon in 1965, Wait Until Dark in 1967, Rosemary's Baby in 1968, A Clockwork Orange in 1971. Future Hannah again. Before we keep going in this list, I just had to uh, read Savannah's note about the inclusion of A Clockwork Orange on this list. Not just because I agree with it, but because it made me laugh out loud when I was reading it the first time. <clears throat> I know some people don't think this is a horror movie, but I disagree. A Clockwork Orange was designed to produce horror and disgust in its audience, so it counts. Deal with it. Well said, Savannah. Back to the show. The Exorcist in 1973... Jaws in 1975, Carrie in 1976, The Omen in 1976, Alien in 1979, The Amityville Horror also in 1979, Altered States in 1980, An American Werewolf in London in 1981, Poltergeist in 1982, Alien in 1986, The Fly in 1986, Misery in 1990, The Silence of the Lambs in 1991, The Addams Family in 1991, Future Hannah in the edits again. Savannah and I may slightly disagree about the inclusion of the Addams Family franchise on here, but I can't quite figure out why. It's probably just a matter of personal preference, so whatever. Bram Stoker's Dracula in 92, Addams Family Values in 93. Okay, me again, and then I'll stop interrupting. It's like, there's clear horror elements, but it's definitely not intended to frighten. It's like a horror homage. I don't know. Anyway, back to the show. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, an interview with the vampire in 1994, a five-year gap before The Sixth Sense and Sleepy Hollow in 1999, both The Cell and Shadow of the Vampire in the year 2000, another somewhat lengthy gap, six years later there's Pan's Labyrinth, in 2007 Sweeney Todd the Demon Barber of Fleet Street is nominated for a few Academy Awards, there's The Wolfman in 2010, Black Swan also in 2010, and then, just last year, The Shape of Water and Get Out in 2017. So, to offer some perspective before we get into more numbers, the Academy Awards have been going on for 90 years. That's almost 100 years worth of Oscar ceremonies. And in that time, over 2,000 little gold statues have been doled out to all sorts of films. Now remember that even in that 90-year period, there were only 38 horror movies that were even nominated. For only 131 total nominations, and we're counting some that may or may not be considered horror movies by most fans. And out of those 131 nominations for horror movies, there were only a total of 36 wins. That means that out of those over 2,000 little gold statues, horror movies accounted for less than 2% of the Academy Awards given. So let's use some... Math. Really? No screaming? I guess it's possible not everybody finds math as scary as I do. Anyway. Well, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, I didn't feel like doing enough research to get an extremely specific number, but using the power of IMDB, Wikipedia, the internet, and good old-fashioned guesstimating, I've got some percentages that, hopefully, 
should represent a pretty decent idea of just how shafted horror films have gotten at the Oscars over the last 90 years. Again, this will not be an exact process, but let's just use the numbers from last year's Academy Awards as an average number of unique films that might be nominated in any given year. And that number is 61. Wait, no. Let's walk that back, because early on in the Academy Awards there was nowhere near as many movies, so let's just take an average between the number of unique movies nominated in the first Academy Awards and the most recent Academy Awards. So that will give us a total of... about 40 unique movies nominated per year. Over 90 years, that gives us a guesstimated total of 3,600 unique films nominated for Academy Awards. Now, of those movies, only 38 were horror films. That means that horror movies accounted for just a little bit over 1% of the unique film nominations over the last 90 years. Since the beginning of the Academy Awards, there have only been a total of 36 wins for horror movies in any category in the Academy Awards. That means of the around 2,000 Oscars that have been awarded over the years, horror movies account for only... Let's see here. Mm-hmm. Yep, only about 2% of the Academy Award wins over the last 90 frickin' years. Of interest, too, when you're looking at these numbers, is that the Academy Awards that horror movies are winning are often more about the craft of filmmaking or about an actor's particular skill than it is about the horror movie overall, meaning that we're saturated in our small amount of winnings with best actress, best supporting actor, best makeup and hairstyling, etc., rather than any best picture wins or best adaptation wins or best original screenplay wins. In fact, only seven horror movies have ever been nominated for best picture. Those movies are The Exorcist, Jaws, The Silence of the Lambs, The Sixth Sense, Black Swan, and recently The Shape of Water and Get Out. And of those seven films, only two have ever managed to take home the statue post-nomination. Silence of the Lambs, and The Shape of Water. And, of those two films, both are often contested to even be horror movies to begin with. Still, credit where credit is due to all of these movies that have been Academy Award nominees and winners, because it's those films that manage to break through the Academy's clear anti-horror bias. Because film critics and the media certainly aren't helping, and they pretty much never have. Except for horror-specific media, but we're not talking about them, are we? Now, let's take a look at some receipts. When Rosemary's Baby was reviewed in the monthly film bulletin, one critic said of Polanski's work on the film, Polanski shows an increasing ability to evoke menace and sheer terror in familiar routines. Sounds like he's gearing up for some good old-fashioned horror movie praise, right? Wrong. The movie is never called a horror film. In fact, the review continues, Rosemary's Baby is a transformation of a cleverly calculated thriller into a serious work of art. Kind of a backhanded compliment, right? The implication being that a thriller presented as legitimate art is a difficult feat, and if you're salty like me, you could further extrapolate that there's another implication that a horror movie would be almost impossible to present that way. Some directors have done the legwork for the reluctant critics and attempted to distance their own obvious horror films from the genre. Brian De Palma, who was the guy who directed Carrie, the 1976 version, not the more recent one, said that he never thought of the movie as a horror movie. I mean, holy hell, it was based on a Stephen King novel, y'all. If that's not a horror movie, I'm the President of the United States. And I am most definitely not the President of the United States. If I was, things would look a hell of a lot different around here, I'll say that. De Palma wasn't alone in this phenomenon. 
William Friedkin outright rejected the horror genre, attempting to classify The Exorcist, one of the central pillars of the horror film genre and one of the very few horror films to win an Academy Award over the last 90 years, as many things other than a horror movie, in increasingly convoluted ways in several interviews. Ugh, and good gracious, the press taglines. Why is it so rare that a horror movie is described that way in an article or a write-up? Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho is consistently called a thriller. Alien is almost never acknowledged as a shared sci-fi and horror movie. Jacob's Ladder is frequently classified as a drama. Gremlins is a comedy. I mean, for fuck's sake, The Night of the Living Dead is repeatedly referred to as a drama. Just exactly what does a horror movie have to fucking to have a listen? Maybe. Ugh. Recognize. Uh. Future Hannah in the edits, do you need me to, uh, it's fine, I got it. I mean, are you sure you don't want me to? I'm calm. I'm good. My apologies to my mom and my listeners. <clears throat> in looking at this press phenomena, you might notice that the psychological and quote-unquote subtle horror movies are particularly vulnerable to the decrying of their horror status. Movies where the horror is more of the human mind or condition than a scary serial murderer or an out-and-out -out monster. I find this sentiment so frickin' odd, especially since much of the horror literary canon, particularly classic pieces of horror literature, are based on exactly this kind of theme and this kind of fright, and none of these are ever regarded as less than in terms of artistic validity, nor as not really horror. This seems unique to reviews of horror films. There's hardly any blood spilled in the pages of works like Frankenstein, The Monk, The Picture of Dorian Gray, or The Turn of the Screw. But any horror movie adaptation of these novels would likely be met with this kind of sentiment. But these subtler horror stories are not the only victims of this misclassification, or in my view, blatant misdirection. Jaws, the mother of all creature features, the big poppy monster movie, has been called just about anything but a horror movie in its reviews and write-ups. Is it an action movie? A thriller? A beach drama? Who knows? But I guess it's not a horror movie. In one particularly well-known review, Jaws was referred to as a sensationally effective action picture, a scary thriller that works all the better because it's populated with characters that have been developed into human beings. Now there's all sorts of backhanded compliments in that review, implying that horror movies never have real human characters, and that it is merely a scary thriller rather than a horror movie. Apparently, these guys wouldn't know a horror movie if it gonked off their leg like a giant fucking shark. You might be thinking to yourself as this episode progresses that surely, surely, criticism and journalism about horror movies has improved, and that their cultural value and relevance can no longer be denied. After all, most of the reviews we just talked about are pre-1990 at least. But you would be wrong. In fact, when the Academy or critics or journalists aren't busy denying awards to, misclassifying or outright rejecting the existence of good horror films, they're trying to assert that horror movies are all of a sudden doing something new by being relevant or culturally valuable, by dealing with difficult topics, or just plain old not sucking. Take, for example, an article quite recently published in Vice, whose tagline sneers, Films like Hereditary, Get Out, and A Quiet Place are using terror as a Trojan horse for indie drama. Listener beware, I might slightly abandon my nice gal persona as I talk about this article. I can't help it. This really grinds my gears. 
following that charming heading. This article then proceeds to gas on for several paragraphs, like the use of serious stories or poignant imagery is somehow new to the horror genre, or an attempt at fakery by genre filmmakers to seem more legitimate somehow, or to trick horror moviegoers into seeing they're not actually horror films. Excuse? Very much how dare. Some other choice quotes from the piece include the lines, Horror films are finding success with that experimental human experience, Jumbo. And, Hereditary is the latest in a trend of arthouse horror films that have found mainstream success despite the serious, depressing stories at their core. For all the talk of, quote, success despite the serious, depressing stories, unquote, or, quote, backdoor bait-and-switches, unquote, you have to wonder exactly how many movies this guy has watched recently, and how many of them have been horror movies, because this is just plain untrue. None of this is new material. I bet I can name at least ten films off the top of my head that have found tons of mainstream success that deal with these themes that the writer bills as unsellable. Themes like, quote, tragedy, culpability, and inescapable grief, or, quote, cultural conversation, unquote, that has been relegated to indie films of the past. Okay, let's see, there's Schindler's List, Up, Titanic, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Inception, uh, Cinema Paradiso, Requiem for a Dream, Gran Torino, The Constant Gardener, Grave of the Fireflies. Was that ten? Future Hannah in the edits, it was indeed ten past me. Please continue. And maybe some of those aren't recent enough to fall within the era of disappointment that he seems to be referencing, or maybe some of them could be considered indie dramas. But I bet I could come up with more if I were given a definite timeline. Now, if you do perchance Google this article, you might draw the conclusion, kind of like I did by the end of it, that this guy is just kind of disillusioned with movies in general. But I'm going to try to focus on the fact that he is shitting on horror movies. So, furthermore, she said indignantly, horror movies have been dealing with these supposed indie drama topics since the first horror movies came out. Here are a few examples over the last, oh, hundred years or so. The Student of Prague in 1913. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari in 1920. The Most Dangerous Game in 1932. Rebecca in 1940. Carnival of Sinners in 1943. The Bad Seed in 1956. My World Dies Screaming in 1958, Eyes Without a Face in 1960, The Exorcist in 1973, Suspiria in 1977, The Shining in 1980, The Fly in 1986. Yes, even the shameful 1980s have produced good, solid horror movies that deal with exactly those themes. Future Hannah here. Do I get extra street cred for having a haunted podcast? Are you guys hearing all those thumps and bangs and clicks in the background? I have no idea where they're coming from and no idea how to edit them out. So maybe I'll make an offering to the podcast office ghost in hopes that I appease them and they stop that. In the meantime, though, sorry, everybody. Misery in 1990, The Sixth Sense in 1999, A Stir of Echoes in 1999, 28 Days Later in 2002, the Orphanage in 2007, there's like 15 examples all before 2010 of well-done, high-production-value horror movies that deal with depression, that deal with grief, that deal with cultural conversations like addiction, mental health, racism, prejudice, that deal with personal culpability, that deal with the seriousness of human choices and evil and monsters and madness. 
and that all enjoyed a decent amount of traceable box office success, and had success with critics even if they ran into some of the problems we discussed earlier about not being called horror movies. Again, horror isn't breaking any new ground here. What's new is the mainstream media's increasing willingness to admit the value that horror movies have had all along, even if it's not necessarily in the way we want it to. Now, to be completely fair, I'm not sure exactly when this guy started watching horror films, but it sounds like he's from the 80s, 90s crowd, which may be why he feels comfortable saying things like this. The last 10 years has seen a run of arthouse horror movies at a rate that's unheard of. Not so. And not just because I'm hesitant to classify the movies he mentions, movies like The Babadook or It Follows or Let the Right One In, as arthouse films, but also because those movies that he mentions have parallels and similar features in decades gone by. But I guess if you were to compare It Follows to what a non-horror fan might think of as a horror movie, like the House of Wax version with Paris Hilton or The Human Centipede or something, then sure, they look like arthouse films, I guess. But it seems what the author means to say when he calls these films arthouse films is that they're smaller independent production companies that are making these films. And I guess in that way he's right. There have been more of these films lately. But this trend is hardly unique to the horror film genre. Really, the landscape of the filmmaking industry as a whole is changing, affording ever greater accessibility to the opportunities, process, and culture of filmmaking for both creators and viewers alike. The author closes by stating that the horror genre is undergoing a drastic change. And in some ways, he's right. Horror movies are changing, but not in the ways he thinks they are. With the improvement of filmmaking technology, more creators than ever have an opportunity to contribute films and ideas and more to the horror genre. Additionally, there are more diverse creators coming into the genre of horror films, which has allowed for the creation of films that showcase new types of fears and different scares. I know, I know, that last little blurb was pretty sunshiny and full of hope. But don't worry, I haven't forgotten that I'm lamenting the state of things, and that they are crappy. Careful not to forget all of our previous grievances. To make matters worse, it isn't as if press or critics or the Academy or directors are the only offenders in this horror or not horror, worthy or not worthy, novel or not novel debate. There is many a supposed avid horror fan who is just as bad. This film didn't scare me, so it isn't horror. Um, this film was too popular with normies, so it's not a horror movie. This film doesn't make me feel the way Friday the 13th made me feel when I was 12, so it's not horror. I didn't like this film's characters, effects, subject matter, or insert any other random feature of any horror movie, so it's not horror. Yikes. At the end of the day, there's going to be contention even in the horror community. Everyone has their likes and dislikes, everyone has their preferences, and everyone's prone to that sense of nostalgia that makes those early horror films that we were first exposed to seem more valuable or noteworthy than other more recent contributions to the genre. But it's important that we not allow our deeply held and valid opinions to promote the idea that horror doesn't have the potential for mass appeal, or that it can't be accessible to everyone, or to exclude newer fans from the horror community. Otherwise, we'll just be complicit in the cyclone of garbage takes about our favorite genre forever and ever. And I'm not saying I'm not guilty of this. Or that thing we do where we smokescreen horror movies to non-horror fans to try and assert its legitimacy. We call them psychological thrillers, or psychological horror movies, or describe all the ways in which it's different than the idea that a non-horror fan might be imagining. 
Because you know what happens when you don't modify the word horror in these conversations? You get tuned out. And so it goes, ad nauseum, on and on, from the 1920s until today. Ugh, infuriating. Almost any horror movie worthy of critical attention is put through the ringer and stripped of its horror classification, or simply outright declassified. And often, after it's chewed up or spit out or ignored by the press and critics, films like the ones I've already mentioned, films like The Babadook or The Witch or It Follows in recent years, any horror film, really, will have to face the barbs and daggers of its enthusiastic and extremely opinionated target audience. So what is all of this ranting supposed to accomplish? Who the hell knows? A conversation, maybe? An appeal for a more open-minded attitude toward the horror genre? More horror lovers in film journalism? Less division in the horror community? This is not a problem with a simple answer. Horror as a film genre has struggled for artistic and intellectual legitimacy for decades, and though the resistance to its presence in mainstream film discussion is slowing, the trend certainly doesn't seem to be stopping. Perhaps the reason these horror film troubles still persist today is that the scope of the horror film is so vast and all-encompassing, and that what frightens the majority of audiences most is prone to a great deal of change over time. Maybe it's that lots of the things that used to be frightening, that used to define horror films, are just plain not scary to a modern audience, or that our fears have changed. Or, maybe it speaks to the wider societal problem of resistance or rejection when diverse voices are injected into an old favorite. Maybe it's all of these things and more. Still, though, horror movies ring true with the roots of the genre, a genre whose artistic validity is almost never called into question in other forms. All of horror's best characteristics are clearly traceable even to horror films' earliest iterations, and with more and more mainstream attention being turned to the horror film genre, this is our time. You need only dig through your movie collection, hop on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, or just plain old go to the movies to get it all. Social commentary, historical homage, thrills, chills, and horror infinitum. No matter what any academy, panel, article, critic, or film reviewer might say. Ah, <sighs> feels good to get all that out of my system. Just as well, I'm out of steam, and that's all I've got for this week. Remember, I want this to be the best podcast that it can possibly be, and I can only do that with your help. Get in touch with me and let me know what sorts of stuff you want to hear. You can reach me by email at hannahselector, that's H-A-N-N-A-H-S-E-L-E-C-T-O-R at undeadairlock.com, or you can shout me out on Twitter, at hannahselector. I like hearing from everybody, you guys are so great and nice, I look forward to it every time I check my email and social media, so keep all the good stuff coming. And while you're hanging out on your computer or mobile device, pretty please check out and share the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts best. SoundCloud, Acast, iTunes, whatever Android users use to listen to podcasts, etc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Oh, and in case you missed the Twitter announcement, we are also on Stitcher now, and you can leave your love for the show there too. And I hope you'll forgive one more little diversion before our Monster Masher. Instead of what will be our usual ad spot this week, I just wanted to take a moment to say a few words about the sweet furry member of the Selector household that we lost not too long ago, our guinea pig Hemingway. This episode of Undead Airlock is dedicated to Hemingway, our Hemi, my faithful movie-watching potato pal, mine and Jason's fuzzy little friend, and the very best guinea pig who ever did squeak.
I would absolutely love it if you guys gave your pets an extra special hug from me. And last but not least, it is finally time for our Monster Masher sign-off. A set of lines from a piece of horror media that tell you how you can defeat the evil and get out alive. Remember, if you recognize the lines in our sign-off, hit me up on Twitter and let me know that you've figured it out. Or, if you've got an idea for a Monster Masher, shoot me a DM or an email and we'll make it happen. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? Mm, he has his father's eyes. What are you talking about? Guy's eyes are normal. Guy's eyes are normal. What have you done to him, you maniacs? <laughs> Satan is his father, not Guy. Until next time, everyone.